us. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open it this morning to Genesis. Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16. And I want to pose a question to you this morning. Whether you're a high school senior graduating, whether you're a college student in the midst of missionary enterprise, or whether you're just like me, just every day trying to serve the Lord right where you are, I want to ask you a question. Will you settle for plan B in your life? Will you settle for plan B? Over the last few weeks, we here at Temple have been studying the life of Abram. We've been talking about the patriarchs, and we've been talking about how God worked through this man named Abram, and he had a plan for him. No doubt God had a plan for this man. He's spoken to his life, and he said, Abram, as he called him by name, he said, I want to bless you, and I want to work within you, and I want to use you to bring a blessing for a nation and a blessing for all of the world. That was God's word to Abram. That was his plan for Abram. Now, Abram was human just like we are. Abram had ups and he had downs in his life. There were days when he was a shining example of faith. And there were days, well, there were days when he failed. In Genesis chapter 16, you'll see how Abram settles for plan B. Plan B. Notice what it says in verse 1 of chapter 16. It says, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarah. Now, get this again. God had a plan for Abram. God said, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless you to be a great nation. Now, if you're going to be a great nation, and you're going to have all these descendants, that means what? That means you've got to have at least one child. And Abram and Sarah, they had not had any children. When they started off to Canaan, Abram was 75, she was 65. They were coming with a hope and the intent and the prayerful consideration that God was going to bless them with a child. That was the plan. God's going to bless us. We're going to have a child. There's going to be a nation. There's going to be blessing. That was plan A. But after 10 years, after 10 years not hearing from God necessarily about through a birth at least, they begin to falter in their faith. Ten years. I mean, ten years. That's a long time, right? Ten years. Ten years ago, you were, do you know, seven, eight years old? You would have been a what? Twelve-year-old. Some of you would have been a second grader. Some of you would have been first, third grader. Ten years ago. Ten years ago is a long time. Ten years ago, I only had one child. <laughs> Ten years makes a whole lot of difference. Ten years. Ten years had gone by and they had not seen the realization of the promise. They had not seen the realization of, of God's work. And they had not seen the child. So after ten years, instead of plan A, they s- decide to go with plan B. How many of you have a plan B in your back pocket? How many of you have had moments 
where you said, if it didn't go exactly what, the way I thought it was going to go, then I know this is what I'm going to do. Plan B. Oftentimes we have plan Bs. And plan Bs can be so attractive to us. Why? Because plan B gives us more of a control in our lives. Or at least we think it does. It gives us the perspective of control. I mean, you've waited 10 years and you've been waiting on God. And then what do you do? You say, well, I'm taking things into my own hands. And I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to help God out if it would be. Many of us are like that. We're, we're individuals who like, who like to make sure we are proactive. We like things in our control, if we will. We don't like the very aspect of waiting. Who likes to really wait? Not me. So you like to do something about it. You just like to help God accomplish his will for your life. It's like you are taking control. And it, and it feels better sometimes, doesn't it, to know that maybe you're doing something about it? I mean, it makes you feel better that at least you're active. Plan B gives you that false sense that you are in control and that you're doing something. Later on in the New Testament in Galatians... That religion, which is associated with Hagar and Ishmael and this whole scene, that self-effort religion, really as Galatians describes it, as Paul describes it there, talks about the activity. You got to do something. Plan B oftentimes, oftentimes makes us feel like we're in control. That's one of the reasons it's so tempting for us. But plan B, it also makes sense to us. Plan B will always make sense to us. It will always be reasoned out well, and it will always be culturally significant. I mean, culturally relevant. I mean, if we've got a plan B, it's because we have thought about this. And it, it seems to make sense. Here is Sarah. She's thinking to herself, okay, I am now 75 years old. Okay? It's been 10 years since I left our home place, since God spoke to me initially. Ten years, I'm 75, I've not had a child. What is the likelihood that I am going to have a child? So let's reason this together. Let's decide that we will have a child through another means. And thus the plan is hatched. The plan is reasoned. And reason often does that. I mean, that's the way we do. We think about our plans and then we reason. And they always seem to be culturally relevant. Because understand that in that day and in that time, it made sense. I mean, culturally, I'm not saying it was pleasing to God. I don't believe it whatsoever. But culturally, this was acceptable to have a child in such a way. So they had reasoned it out. It made sense. And it was culturally relevant. And most of our plan B's are like that. Most of our plan B's are like that. I remember when I was getting ready to graduate high school. And I had surrendered to the ministry when I was 16 years old. I knew at the age of 16, after I'd heard this uh, preacher preach and God had spoken to my heart, I had come forward and I had surrendered to full-time vocational ministry. I knew that. But as I approached graduation, I began to reason a lot. You know, you begin thinking about the opportunities 
before you and how you'll live your life and all of those kinds of things and the career you'll go into. And I began to reason with God. I began to reason things out in my, on my own. And I decided that, you know what? God didn't necessarily need me in full-time ministry. He could use me bivocationally. And, you know, God does that. Actually, some of you today that are sitting here, God's going to call you specifically to a bivocational type of ministry. When I say that, you may work in one profession, but you will then find yourself in a ministry context in a church where you will help that church grow. Maybe it is through music. Maybe it is through speaking. Maybe it is just through the activity of your Sunday school class. But God's going to do that with you. And God needs those kind of people. But I'd reason to myself, you know what? I, I just need to go and I need to be a lawyer because I want to be successful. Lawyers and preachers, you know, kind of the same. <laughs> they talk a lot. And if I could be a lawyer, and maybe that's what I could do. And, and I went down to Jackson to a college, Jackson, Mississippi to a college. And I began majoring in political science and, and everything was going well. Man, I had reasoned it all out. Things were just exactly the way I thought they should be. I was making all the grades that I needed to, and it, was, it seemed to be wonderful to everybody else except me. I will tell you to this day, probably the most miserable time of my life was while I was there in Jackson, Mississippi for that one semester attending college. Well... I went through it and I endured because that's what you got to do with school sometimes, right? Just endure. And I started the second semester, but I was no happier than I was the first. I went into that class. I'll never forget walking into a class, my calculus class. I didn't know lawyers had to do numbers or anything like that, but calculus class. And I, while I was sitting there, it was like God said to me, what are you doing? Now, some people said calculus said that to me. <laughs> but I felt like it was God. Like, what are you doing? And I knew exactly what he meant by that. I knew exactly what he meant by that. I knew that I was choosing plan B. I knew that God had called me specifically to be in full-time ministry. I knew that. But I was trying to reason it out. And listen, it made sense. I could explain it to you and you could say, that, that sounds so great. That, that's exactly what you should have done. Because we can reason things out and they can be culturally significant. And a lot of times what we want to do is do things that culturally align with our lives. In other words, if the world says you ought to be successful in such a way and you ought to do this and you ought to do that then you follow what the world tells you that's what I was attempting to do but God is more concerned about you listening to his voice than the world's voice so I went I got all my stuff together I went to the registrar and I told them that I would be withdrawing that day that day I went to my room and I made the call that I just dreaded to make. I picked up the phone and I said, Mama, 
I'm coming home. I never forget her response. She said, are you sick? And I said, no, ma'am, I'm fine. Physically, I'm fine, but I'm coming home. Well, something happened. Is something going on down there? Is it? No, ma'am, I'm just coming home. I could hear the disappointment in her voice. I could tell, even though I was not there physically, I could tell her countenance had fallen because I would be the first one in my family to attend college and to graduate from college at least. And she was so hoping, had so many, so many things that she believed that I could accomplish. And then to hear her son say, I'm coming home. It was a tough day, but I knew what God wanted me to do. I went back to my dorm room, and I owned everything in the dorm room, that is. My roommate didn't bring anything with him. So when I told him, he was in tears. <laughs> Not because he missed my fellowship, but because he missed my television and my telephone and everything else that was associated. I went home. Now, I could tell you a lot more, and I won't do it today, but I doubted myself for a few weeks, especially when I could not get into college anywhere else because of the timing of my decision. Now, I began to rethink things. But God affirmed and reminded me of exactly what he wanted me to do. And while I'd been told that I would get no financial resources or funding or scholarships or anything like that because of my decision, God worked all those things out. And I will say to you that when I finished college, they were paying me to go to school because God's faithful. Will you settle for plan B in your life? You see, plan B, it'll seem like it gives you control, just like it did for Sarah and Abram. They decide we got to do something about it. And it'll make sense, and it'll be culturally relevant, perhaps. Everybody else will come along and say, absolutely, this is the way you need to do it. But God's not called you to settle for plan B. You see, when you read through it, you'll think initially that plan B worked. Initially, I mean, it seems like it'll work for you. I mean, this is what God's called, or this is what you want to do, and this is what you feel like you should accomplish in life, and you go about it, and you go to school, and you'll get your education, and you'll go out, and you'll do these things, and it'll look like you've been successful. Notice the plan worked. Well, at least to the point of giving forth a child. It's not the promised child, but they had a child. Ishmael. And it looked like everything worked. And in your life, there will be those days where it looks like everything is just working. And yes, you chose plan B. So what's the problem? What's the problem with plan B? Well, it's not plan A for your life. That's the problem. Plan B is never God's full plan for you. And while you embark on plan B, whatever you do, you'll never be fully satisfied. And you'll never be fully content in God. And you know what? It will come with all kinds of consequences. Later on, it says in chapter 5, after the birth of Ishmael, it says, Sarah said to Abram, my wrong be upon you. I gave my maid 
into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. In verse 6, it says, So Abram said to Sarah, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarah dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. The consequences of choosing plan B for Abram's family was catastrophic. It's terrible. They thought that they knew what they wanted. They accomplished plan B. And it wreaked havoc upon the family. And as far as we know, those of us who are students of history, it, is, it has wreaked havoc upon the whole world. You continue on reading down through this as you hear about Ishmael and you hear the description and then you recognize today those who align themselves with Ishmael and those who align themselves with Israel are Jacob and certainly Isaac. Those who, res- who somehow see their lineage traced from there that even this day across our world there is hostility because somebody went with plan B instead of plan A. And I say to you that even though you choose plan B you will never be fully satisfied. So let me say this to you. What is plan A? No doubt in my mind for every one of us in this place plan A is this to declare the glory of God. Now, I know that some of you say, I want something a little more specific than that. And God's going to reveal that to you. But I want you to know that your plan A is to declare the glory of God to all of the nations. That's not even something up for debate. God wants to use you and he wants to use me to make sure that we are declaring the glory of God to the nations. Just this week, just this week, some of you may have read the recent Pew Research numbers, which basically pronounced Christianity as dead in the United States of America. I say to you that Christianity is not dead as long as we serve and look to the living Lord above. It is not. And I say to you that I am seeing things today of God renewing and working in people's lives so that we can take his gospel to make a difference. We have seen the students who are graduating. Today, we celebrate what we call Sin Sunday, not only because we are sending out our high school graduates, but also because today we are literally sending out our college students. Now think of that just a moment. Of the gift and uniqueness that we have here in this community to touch the lives of college students and to send them out from us literally all over our nation and all over our world. Today we have with us individuals who are going on sin teams. Some of them are are going to different cities here in Louisiana and all across our nation. Today, we have individuals with us that are going to be working internships or working at camps. They're going to be using their summer. They're going to be redeeming it for the glory of God. Some who are here today are going to be in this category of what we call work is worship. 
where they are intentionally taking internships and jobs and they're going to intentionally use that opportunity to share the good news and love of Jesus Christ. If you're serving on one of those teams, if you're going to serve as an intern, if you're serving in any capacity in that way this summer and you're a college student in this place, would you stand at this moment? I think it's absolutely incredible. We'll remain standing just a moment. And our high school grads, you provide for them so much to look forward to because they can invest their lives in a similar way in college because God is using the generations to make a difference for his kingdom. And we've got to see this in our nation. The only way we'll see the glory truly declared is for all of us in our different generations across the spectrum speaking the good news of Christ. I want to thank you for your service, for your willingness to go and to serve. I want to thank all of you who are here today for supporting them in this in prayer and some of you through support. One of, uh, there was a group of individuals that came forth in memory of Miss Ruth Potts and they gave a lot of uh, funds just to be able to support this send emphasis and I appreciate that. We are thankful for you this morning. You can be seated. This is plan A. It's not plan B. It's plan A. And you know what? For some of you who are high school grads and those of you who are college students, God's going to touch your life and he's going to ask you to do some things for him. He's going to ask you to strategically and intentionally plant your life in certain areas so that you can show forth Christ. Will you do that? Will you reject plan B? Will you embrace plan A? Some of the parents and grandparents who are here are not going to like this because I'm going to tell you my parents didn't like this either, but I'm going to say it. Some of you, God's going to call And he's going to intentionally call you away from your families. Some of you are going to be in other countries. Some of you, even though you may graduate in engineering or you graduate in teaching, God's going to call you to a city here in the United States. And you may not be on staff, but God's going to call you there to utilize the giftedness that you have and to support a local church and to be a part of a church that's going to restore and revitalize a community for the Lord Jesus. And I say to you, never settle for plan B. Always, always strive for plan A. Because only through plan A will you see the full contentment of God in your life as he fulfills your purpose. You see, Abram had a purpose. And this morning in this place, I believe every one of you have a purpose in Jesus Christ. I believe that. And I believe this day that we are sending you just on the first leg or maybe the second leg, or the third leg of a journey that he's going to continue for a lifetime. And I pray that God would utilize you, that he would use you to transform our world in the name of Christ. Will you settle for plan B? Or will you embrace plan A? Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning. 
and how grateful we are. God, our hearts are full that you are allowing us to be a part of sending forth these students. And yet, God, we know that they will experience challenge. And Lord, we know that reason will come and try to persuade them into different paths. We know that the culture will suggest that they have to be prosperous through certain means, through certain efforts. But God, I pray that when these students leave here today, just as you've already begun a work in them, that you will continue that work as they leave. That you would give them a passion for you. Sole purpose of glorifying your name wherever that may be. And God, I pray for us, all of us in this place, no matter what generation we find ourselves in, I pray that today, Lord, you would help us be committed to the plan A of our lives that you have for us. And God, that we may serve you effectively and that we may serve you powerfully as we declare your glory. Lord, bless this moment of reflection. Bless this moment of invitation. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?